Hi there, I'm James Dapache, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we are talking about a person, a natural person, and that person is the director and sole shareholder of a company. And that company is going to be the plaintiff for today. Now, that company is the shareholder in a number of different companies that form part of a group, and our natural person is the director of a number of those companies that form part of the group. And our natural person is a director with some other directors as well. Right, so we've got our natural person today, uh, and that natural person has a company. Company owns shares in the group. Natural person is director, or one of the directors, of the companies in this group. Okay, what happens next is, frankly, um, our natural person is terminated as a director, and as a result of the operation of the shareholders agreement, the other shareholders can then compulsorily and immediately acquire our director's company's shares at a discount because of the termination. And if your head just exploded, don't worry, we're going to go through those facts again a little bit more slowly. But in essence, what we're dealing with today is a claim brought by the company. So the plaintiff is, one, is the company that's a shareholder in this group. And the company is saying, hey, you fired my guy, you fired my director just to get my shares at a discount. And so that was oppressive. And also it was a breach of the shareholders agreements we have. So we're gonna work through that now. Right, let's talk about our director. Now our director is one of three or four directors of uh, the entities in this group. And the group operates a national uh, consultancy business and um, they meet from time to time, sometimes over breakfast, the directors, to manage the affairs of the company. And things go reasonably well for a considerable time, but as time passes, there are schisms, there are fissures in the relationship between the directors. Uh, and one of the big problems is our director who is eventually terminated that we referred to before. Now what is said is that director bullies some senior staff what also happens is that director opposes or in essence changes their mind about a former plan that all the directors had, which was to dilute their sh the shareholdings of their companies and to bring in new shareholders. And in this sort of business, apparently that's how you attract senior staff. You don't just pay them more money, you give them a slice of the entity. And over time, um, our director who's fired just gets a little bit reluctant about uh, letting go of any of his company's shares and also is reluctant on other legacy shareholders letting go of some of their shares. So there's a bit of a change of mind, change of approach. As I might have said before, there are challenges with allegations, uh, some of which appear to be well-founded, uh, about our director being a bully and behaving poorly with staff. So there are these real challenges in the way the company's being managed. There are also challenges at board level, governance level, our director wants to exclude out a sort of mentor person who'd been hanging around uh, as a former director, just sort of helping guide the company, wants to exclude that person and sort of really interferes with the way the company uh, was rolling along. And so uh, there's a bit of a mediation process. The nature of that process is to sort of explore uh, if there can be a share sale and you know, who should stay, who should go. Uh, following that, 
what happens is uh, most of our directors cause the company to issue a notice to our misbehaving director that we referred to at the start. The notice says that uh, in about a month's time, we're gonna have a meeting of the board and we're gonna pass these resolutions that you, misbehaving director, are going to be terminated. The next day, the misbehaving director issues his resignation, uh, which requires a three month notice period pursuant to the shareholders agreement. Now, what is said by the company, because remember it's the company that the director owns that's the shareholder in this company, so in these companies, in this group, what that company says in this claim, because it's the plaintiff in the claim, says is, hey, you fired my guy, you fired the director I appointed in order to get my shares at a discount. This is all just a, a construction. You've, you just manufactured this to take, to take my shares on the cheap. Uh, and so this termination is oppressive to me. It is unfairly prejudicial in the sense of Section 232 of the Corporations Act. And so I want compensation. I want essentially enough money that removes that discount, <laughs> that pays me back for that discount, um, pursuant to Section 233 of the Corporations Act which would give the court the power to do that if pursuant to section 232, the court found it to be unfairly prejudicial. Now, what the court has to do in forming a view about the possible unfair prejudice of the termination is to actually get into why the directors terminated this one director uh, and dive into those reasons. The court does that and the court frankly satisfies itself that it was a reasonable decision made by the directors to terminate the director, and it was not motivated by the discount that the other companies who were shareholders would enjoy on the departing companies, the departing plaintiff's shares. And so it was not unfairly prejudicial to the uh, company that was run uh, by the director who was terminated. Now, as part of coming to the view it was not unfairly prejudicial, the court noted that both the departing director and the plaintiff company were parties to this shareholders agreement. And so they must have considered the terms of the shareholders agreement reasonable at the time they signed it. And so the court saw not a huge problem in them being held to the agreement. So in relation to the oppression uh, for some of the Australian companies, there's another issue with an international company that we won't go into, but oppression for the Australian companies, nope. Our plaintiff company fails to convince the court that the discount was oppressive. What the plaintiff company goes on to do though, is to say to the court, hey, the discount was a breach of the shareholders agreement. And this argument essentially works from the plaintiff's perspective by saying, hey, there was termination on, there was notice of possible termination, notice of a meeting in a month's time where the board would pass these termination resolutions on day one. On day two, my guy, this director, resigned and gave three months notice pursuant to the shareholders agreement. And so the resignation happened first because the termination happened almost a month later at that board meeting where those resolutions were passed. It's an interesting point because if the resignation took effect first, which is what our plaintiff says, then the discount would not apply. But if the termination took effect first, then the discount would. So the plaintiff wants to say, no, 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 no. You didn't fire us, you didn't fire him, he quit. 
essentially, because if he's fired, the discount is there and appropriate, and if he quit, then the discount is gone and inappropriate. And so the court has to grapple with this interesting scenario because remember, day one was notice of the possible resolutions, day two was resolution on three months notice, day 30 or so was the board resolutions, and day 90 or so was the expiry of the three month notice. And essentially what the court finds is the way a resignation works, particularly pursuant to the particular shareholders agreement, is that um, the resignation takes effect at the expiry of the notice period, at the expiry of that three months, because of course during that three months, the resigned person, the director who's attempting to resign, in our case here, is still acting as a member of the board. And according to ASIC, uh, and according to the various other agreements, the director's still in place. And so that resignation only takes effect at the end of the three months. The termination resolutions were passed sort of one month-ish into those three months. And so the termination resolutions take effect. And so the discount was appropriately applied. And so our plaintiff fails on oppression, fails on alleging a breach of the shareholders agreement. We then uh, have an interesting point that I won't get into here where the judge raises the possibility that unit holders rather than just shareholders might be able to bring corporate oppression proceedings. We won't get into that. But the court then has to dive into the valuation evidence. And one of the first issues it faces is that our plaintiff's valuer uh, from a very reputable and impressive firm uh, has this big, big problem because the valuer's senior junior person who did most of the valuation work and accounted for about 70% of the fees that were eventually invoiced actually has a challenge to their independence. There are text messages that come before the court where this senior junior lawyer is, uh, sorry, senior junior person to the valuation expert is texting the plaintiff's director to say, hey, look, sorry for the delay. Yes, we're going to try to get these numbers as good as we can for you. And essentially, um, enough is there to infer that that employee's independence is affected and that employee um, has a bit of a problem with their independence and that that employee may be becoming an advocate for the plaintiff rather than an independent person assisting the court. Now, of course, it is not the senior junior person whose name goes on the report. It is the very senior expert but the senior expert has to really grapple and get into these valuation difficulties. Long story short, and I'm just glancing at the time, I have not cut this story particularly short. Um, the court accepts, broadly speaking, the defendant's position regarding valuation, and on most points, though not all, uh, prefers the evidence that the defendant's valuer puts on regarding valuation. And so what we have is the court finding that the discount was appropriately applied and was not unfairly prejudicial in the section 232, 233 sense, was not a breach of the various shareholders' agreements. Thank you for your time. I hope that was of assistance to you, and I look forward to joining you again soon for another coffee and another case note. Cheers.